Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. Pentecost, John 14, 23 to 31, we pray, O God, through your servants, the holy prophets, you promised, for I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It was long ago today when you fulfilled this precious promise. Today we appear in your sanctuary to celebrate this deed of your faithfulness and truth, and as a congregation laud and praise you for it. But, O Lord God, your promise is not yet completely fulfilled. The dry soil of many millions of hearts still waits for the streams of your Spirit to flow over them. Even our thirsty souls await your gracious rain that it may enliven water and quicken us. O oh, therefore, come, come, Lord God, Holy Spirit, and evermore enlighten the world. It is still sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. May it know Christ its Savior, accept Him, and remain with Him. On this holy day, visit especially your church. Fill her with your heavenly comfort, so that she does not despair in these last times, but valiantly struggles and holds out until she can triumph in the eternal Sabbath with the angels of heaven. Amen. Amen. My dear hearers, beloved in Christ, and effectively called through the Holy Spirit, there is on earth an amazing kingdom that is small indeed, but whose jurisdiction covers the world. It has its secret members in all the kingdoms of the world. There is an amazing nation in which all the languages of the earth are spoken. It is gathered from all the nations of the earth, yet it lives under one king, by one code, in lasting peace, enlivened by one spirit. There is an amazing city among whose citizens are slaves and free, rich and poor, kings and beggars, yet they are equal, equal in wealth, equal in power, equal in the hope of the glory which they await. There is an amazing temple that all the world knows, into which all the world is invited to enter, yet which no mortal eye has seen. Founded upon an eternal foundation, it is erected of unknown stones, and it is supported by invisible pillars. There is an amazing general who, weaponless, goes through the world. Although continually warred upon by the whole world, hell, and traitors in his own midst, he is nevertheless unconquered. Yes, he is victorious even in defeat, triumphant even in death.
There is an amazing fellowship among men. They are tied together by a mysterious bond. It is the most despised in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God, his most precious treasure. They seem to be forsaken by God, and yet they are the only ones in whom God dwells. They are always anxious about their sins, and they are the only ones who have forgiveness of their sins. They consider themselves the greatest sinners, and yet they are the only ones who are clothed in a righteousness that avails before God. They pass for the greatest fools, and yet, enlightened by the light of truth, they are the only ones who are truly wise. The world considers them the scum of humanity and would gladly be rid of them, and they are the only ones for whose sake the world still stands. They seem to be the poorest, and yet they are the only ones who have all true treasure, who alone make this poor world rich, who alone possess the true remedy for all the misery of this world and the fear of death, and to whom alone the keys of heaven are entrusted. Now what is this amazing kingdom and nation, so small and yet so widespread, so diverse in its members and yet so united? What is that amazing city, whose citizens are so unlike and yet so alike? What is that amazing temple that is so well known and at the same time invisible and so unknown? Who is that amazing general, who is so defenseless and yet so victorious and unconquerable? What is that amazing, mysterious fellowship among men that seems to be so miserable and yet so glorious, that seems to be so poor and yet is so rich? Yes, that makes many rich. It is the church, or God's congregation on earth, whose birthday we celebrate today. We were told at Christmas and Easter what amazing love God first had to show just to be able to gather a church a congregation of redeemed, justified, and elect from the fallen and lost human race. Pentecost tells us how this church of grace and salvation for all nations was launched after the Son of God had become the cornerstone. Let us therefore today study this divine, miraculous office and edifice somewhat more closely. John fourteen, twenty-three to 31 Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So far our text. Christ here speaks of a dwelling of God on earth, of those who are this dwelling, 
of its characteristics, and of its wealth and treasures. This is what other passages of Scripture call the house of God, the church. Undoubtedly, this section was chosen as the text for Pentecost because on this day the Christian church, the church of the new covenant, was launched through the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us now, under the guidance of our text, seek to answer the question, which church was launched on Pentecost? In so doing, we ask, who belongs to this church? What are the characteristics by which they can be recognized? And finally, what are the treasures the church has? The usual answer to the question, who belongs to the church, is all those who are baptized. Others demand something more and say that one must also publicly confess the Christian religion in word and deed. One must recognize and say that the Christian religion is the true one take part in the gathering of Christians for divine worship, and observe the religious customs of the church. Finally, others go still further and say that the Christian life is a part of this. I am convinced that even among us, not a few would give no other answer. Perhaps they wonder who else can and should be reckoned as members of the church than he who is baptized, confesses the Christian religion, and believes like a Christian. Yet what does he say, he who alone decides, the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ? He speaks this way in our text. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. These are most noteworthy words. While the Lord otherwise ascribes everything to faith, here he does not say, whoever believes in me, but if anyone loves me. And the Lord does not let even this be enough, but adds, He will keep my word. He continues, And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This means nothing else, then. We will make him a member of the church. So, according to Christ's own words, only they belong to the church of the new covenant, who not only know Christ, speak much and often of him, and believe that he is the teacher of truth, but who also love him. Moreover, only those who not only have Christ's word, diligently hear it, seek and search in it, but also those who keep it. The Lord does not at all mean to say that true faith is not enough in order to be a member of the church. In other passages of Scripture, the indwelling of God and membership in the church, yes, salvation, is expressly ascribed to faith. In our text, Christ wishes to impress that only a faith which is not a dead head knowledge makes one a member of his church. His faith must be a divine power which changes the heart of man, melts it, and fills it with holy fear of every sin and impurity. And his faith also fills the heart with love to Christ, a love consisting not only of words but also an inner living power, showing itself in deeds. It is a love that not only makes one willing, but also capable of keeping Christ's word. The Lord expressly adds in the following verse, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. One who lacks faith cannot become a temple of God, a member of the church. Not only do the heathen, the Jews, and the Muslims not belong to the church of Christ, but also all those in the church who have no love for Christ. For example, 
There is much in a church building that does not belong to it. Either it is an embellishment or furniture or a defiling stain. If he does not love Christ and really keep his word, he does not belong to it, but is, perhaps because of his gifts and honorable life, a beautiful yet dead picture, or if he lives an unchristian life, only a blemish. The Christian church is like a field of wheat. Weeds grow up along with the wheat. They often are more colorful than the wheat itself. They are watered by the dew of heaven just as well as the wheat. The sun shines upon them just as well as on the wheat and ripens for the harvest. In the same way, many are like weeds on the wheat field of the Christian church. They do not belong to it, even though they are watered by the heavenly dew of the gospel, as are members of the church. The rays of the eternal truth shine upon them, as on the true members, ripening for the eternal harvest. The weeds, however, are not stored in the granary at harvest time, but are tied in bundles and thrown into the fire. So also those who here were in the Christian church, but did not love Christ and keep his word, will not be brought into the granary of heaven. Even though they were baptized, knew Christ, had a sort of faith in Christ, yes, outwardly led a Christian life. But they will be separated from Christians and cast into the fire. Oh, my friends, we will with terror see that very many will be found among such as weeds, many whom we considered the best wheat because of their knowledge, usefulness, or honorable life. Ah, uh, when I think back how especially in the last years our congregation has progressed in temporal things, but retrogressed in love to Christ and the keeping of his word, my heart trembles at the thought of the harvest. I feel compelled to say, my dear brethren, let us not feel secure because we are in the Christian church. Let us rather earnestly examine ourselves in the present festival of the Christian church to see whether we love Christ and keep his word. If we have fallen, we can then arise again in true repentance, return to our first love, and at the cry, the bridegroom comes, arise with rejoicing and follow the bridegroom into the marriage hall of the church triumphant. We have the answer to our first question about the individual members of the church. Let us now answer our second question about the church as a whole. What are the marks by which she can be known? Since only those who love Christ and keep his word belong to the Christian church, it is composed of a host of people whom only God knows. Only the Lord, the searcher of the heart, knows his own. No man can look into the heart of another. No one can see the love of Christ that lives in the soul of another. No person can perceive the motives of another's acts that alone decide whether a person really keeps Christ's word or only seems to. In other words, though the church consists of people, it must be a host invisible to us, since no man can tell those who love Christ from those who do not. And so it seems impossible to know which is the church of Christ and where it can be found. But it only seems so. For is not God also invisible? But are there not countless signs by which we can recognize his presence everywhere? Do not the heavens declare his glory, and the firmament his handiwork? Is not, as the apostle writes, God's invisible essence, that is, his eternal power and Godhead, seen so that one can perceive it in the creation of the world? 
Yes, we can and should feel after and find him in his works. The rolling thunder is, as the royal singers say, the rolling of his chariot and the light of his garment. Is not the Holy Spirit invisible? Nevertheless, could one not on the first Pentecost become conscious of his presence and notice that he came upon his disciples? Did one not hear it in the roaring as of a mighty wind that descended from heaven? Did one not see it in the flames that appeared in the form of tongues over the heads of the disciples? Did one not perceive it in the glowing, divine, powerful sermon of the great deeds of God in languages that the disciples had never learned? The same is true of the Christian church. She is an invisible kingdom extending over the whole world. She consists only of true disciples of Christ. But there is a sign by which we can most certainly know where she is to be found. The Lord Jesus indicates this sign when he continues in our text, And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Lord comforts his own at his imminent return to the Father, saying that when he will no longer walk and talk with them, the Holy Spirit will teach them everything and remind them of all the words that he said to them. Now what does Christ say will never be taken from his own church and will never fail them? What does he say is inseparable from his church and at the same time a positive sign by which it can be known? His word, his gospel. And my friends, it can be nothing else. The church is the communion of all true believers and lovers of Christ. Nothing else can make a person a true believer and lover of Christ than his gospel. Thus nowhere else than where this word is can the church of true believers be found. As you look for wheat only where you have planted the wheat seed, you will also find true Christians, the church of the new covenant, only where the heavenly seed of the word is sown. It is true that the wheat often smothers. One cannot with absolute certainty conclude that where good seed is sown, one can expect a good harvest. Here, the spiritual seed of God's word differs from the wheat seed. We read of the spiritual seed, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55. The word of God will never be preached in vain. It happens that wherever God permits his word to be preached, he knows in advance that there are at least a few who will believe it, love Christ, and keep his word. Wherever God gives his means of grace, the pardoned are certainly there also. Wherever there are those who are called by God's word, a number of elect to eternal salvation are also there. Once, when the newly converted Paul wanted to preach in Jerusalem, the Lord protected him and said, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Acts 22. Wherever the candle of the gospel burns, the Lord certainly has a number of his own there also. In short, wherever there is a visible congregation in which God's word is preached in its purity, there certainly is also an invisible church of true believers. 
As the column of smoke announces the presence of fire, and as the rising sun announces the arrival of day, so the preaching of God's word in any place announces the presence of the true Christian church. Everything else that is extolled as marks of the church, be it the outward holiness and the great works of its members, the long duration of its existence, the derivation of its beginning and unbroken line from the apostles themselves, or whatever it is, all this can deceive. However, the mark of the preaching of the pure word is infallible. Where this is found, there is still today the workshop of the Holy Spirit. There, even today, we hear that rushing as of a mighty wind in which the Spirit descends from above. He is as powerful through the preaching of his word as he was long ago on the first Pentecost. By the word, he calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies, and keeps the holy Christian church with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Stay where you find the pure word, for there you will find the true Zion of the new covenant, the New Testament Jerusalem, the true temple of God, in other words, the true church of Jesus Christ. Does it really pay to seek for the church of the new covenant, and having found her, gather around her, risking everything with her? This leads us to the third question that is to be answered. What are the blessings and treasures that she has? Christ mentions two in our text. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is the first blessing that all those who love Christ and keep his word have? It is peace. I admit that Christ here does not mention those blessings that men usually consider great. He says nothing of great honor before men, nothing of earthly riches, nothing of a pleasurable and enjoyable life, yes, even nothing of exemption from suffering, poverty, disgrace, and death. The Lord rather expressly says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Far be it, therefore, that Christ should promise the glory of the world to those who cling to his church. On the contrary, he indicates that they would experience very many things that would bring them trouble and fear. Yet, does not Christ promise something great, something glorious, something enticing to those who love him and keep his word? For bear in mind, my friends, when Christ says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, he says that God has made peace forever with him who loves him and keeps his word. God has forever forgiven him all his sins and become his ally. God now views everything that is inflicted upon such a person, be it good or evil, as though it were done to God himself. God considers such a person his dear elect child, a subject of his fatherly love and concern. Having this peace with God, we naturally can have only the sweetest inner peace of heart and conscience, that is, the sweet, blessed conviction that one has nothing to fear but has everything to hope for in time and eternity. How doesn't it pay to seek the church of Christ and stay there? Doesn't she not give peace which all men seek without knowing it? Can this world, with all that it offers, ever give that peace which soothes the poor, restless heart of man? Should we not cast our lot with the church, since in her one finds the blessings which alone can be called a blessing, the blessing of the heart brought to God's peace?
O you poor souls, who must confess that the love of Christ does not yet live in your hearts and rule you, that you do not keep his word, must you not also confess that you are still without peace, without rest, without true blessing? Oh, take the big gamble. Learn to know Christ, and you will also also immediately learn to love him and keep his word. Then that peace, which Christ has left behind for his church, which passes all understanding and is better than all the glory of the world, will enter your heart. But even this peace, that contains a whole heaven on earth, in itself is not the only treasure that the church has. Christ continues in our text thus, You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Christ means to say, Do not be sad, you members of my church, that I do not remain visibly with you, but go to the Father. It is rather the greatest blessing for you, for the Father is greater than I. Christ does not mean to say that the Father is greater in essence than he, for he says in another passage, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. All may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. No, he means to say that it is more beautiful there with the Father than even here in my kingdom of peace. There with my Father is the kingdom of destination, perfection, glory. Rejoice that I go there, for I am only preceding you to prepare a place for you and will finally draw all of you to myself. That the church is a ship which not only brings peace and security from the storms of the world, but which also most certainly enters the harbor of a blessed world. That the church is a tree, which grows in this world as though in a nursery, but will someday be transplanted into the soil of heaven. That the church is like a vestibule of the eternal temple, where all the saints gather, see God face to face, and live a life in perfect joy without measure and end. In a word, that outside the church there is no salvation, but in her everything is salvation. That, that is the greatest blessing, the most wonderful treasure which the church has. Blessed are all of you who are found in the ship of the church as those elected out of the old for the true new world. This ship will not be wrecked. Despite the gates of hell, you will joyfully land on the shores of that land where only the blessed live. Blessed are all of you who are living branches on the tree of the church. Someday you will bloom and become green in the garden of eternal paradise. Blessed are all of you who worship here in the vestibule of the church of grace. You will also sing an eternal alleluia in the most holy place in heaven. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, CFW Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. 
We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.